Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. We're continuing our series in the in the book of Luke and getting quite close to the, the end now. And as, as El said, we're looking at the trial of Jesus this morning in Luke chapter 24. Sadly, courts are not always able to accurately discern the difference between uh, innocence and guilt. Perhaps one of the most famous courthouse scenes of all times is uh, in a book called uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee and dramatised in the famous movie starring Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch. A, tra- a lawyer, a white lawyer committed to, to justice and he, he represents a, a man in court, Tom Robinson, who he believes is, is innocent. Uh, and he, he points to all of the innocent evidence that he is innocent. Uh, and he's, but he comes to the jury and, and finally addresses them, encouraging them to make what is the right verdict. Now, gentlemen, in this country, our courts are the great levelers. In our courts, all men are created equal. I'm no idealist to believe firmly in the integrity of our courts and of our jury system. That's no ideal to me. That is a living, working reality. Now, I am confident that you gentlemen will review without passion the evidence that you have heard come to a decision and restore this man to his family. In the name of God, do your duty. But sadly, Atticus Finch's trust in the system is misplaced because Tom Robinson is found guilty uh, and uh, is sentenced to death. Look over the next slide, thanks. Name of God. Uh, in Luke 23, as we mentioned, Jesus stands his trial before Herod and then, or Pilate originally, then Herod, then, then back to Pilate. And it's uh, one of the most infamous trials in history. It's uh, a twisted, weird thing where, where the accused is uh, shuffled backwards and forwards. So let's uh, have a look at it together in in Luke chapter 23. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. It was also in Jerusalem at the time. 
When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chiefs and priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Luke, through his recount of this this trial, is trying to make a point very clear to us. And that is that Jesus was absolutely innocent. He spoke the truth. In fact, everybody involved in the trial could see the truth that Jesus was innocent. Yet, for each of the characters, something distorted their understanding of the truth and caused them to make what was the terrible, terrible decision that Pilate eventually made. And so what we're going to look at do this morning is to look at each of the characters in this trial and see the way that they distorted the truth of the fact that Jesus was clearly innocent. Just click over that first slide, thanks. So the first group who were uh, involved were the religious leaders, and their truth was distorted by their preconceptions. So the religious leaders had a particular idea of what the Messiah would look like. They thought he'd be a political figure or a highly religious figure in their, in, in their image and that uh, they, he would cast the Romans from the land. And, but very early on, Jesus began to, to present a different Messiah to the one that the religious leaders were expecting. And so they rejected him. And we see the priests and the, the Levites and the, scrap, the, the, uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees all aiming to destroy Jesus because he didn't match what they expected him to be as a Messiah. And that serves as a warning for us as well, that when we come to Jesus and when we come to God, we shouldn't put God in a box. 
We shouldn't come with preconceptions about what God is going to do in any particular context or what God should do in any particular context, how he should behave, what prayers he should answer. Because if we do, we put ourselves in danger of distorting the truth and making the same errors that the religious leaders did in this situation. The second group who are in this drama are the crowds. And uh, they show the truth can be distorted by emotional swings. Less than a week before, the crowds of Jerusalem had been standing at the gate, waving palm fronds and shouting, uh, Maranatha, hallelujah, and declaring Hosanna, and declaring that Jesus was the Messiah. But now, less than a week later, they stand shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Their, their emotions had swung wildly. And rather than looking deeply into the truth of who Jesus was and the claims he was making and thinking and reflecting about the type of leadership that Jesus was modelling and teaching them, they just reacted with a, with a mob mentality swinging backwards and forwards. And, and this challenges us to not be emotional about or, or, or lighthearted or, or whimsical about the way that we approach the truth of Jesus. We need to think deeply and not get swayed by what the popular belief is saying, what the people around us are, are shouting at one moment or the other. Think deeply. Explore the truth about Jesus. Reach your own conclusions. Don't get swayed by the crowds. Third character in the, the drama is Pilate himself. And he, from the very start, is not convinced by the accusations that the religious leaders are bringing. And he's really quite unconcerned about what they say, except for one thing, this idea that he could be a political leader. And so Herod's only question, I mean, Pilate's only question to Jesus is, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' reply is, is very ambiguous. Uh, in a lot of translations, it's something like, you have said this. But it is literally two words in the Greek, you say. That's all Jesus says. Are you the king of the Jews? You say. And uh, whatever, we must interpret this in realising that Pilate did not see Jesus as a political threat. Because if he had, he would have had him killed. And, and Herod would have done the same thing. If Herod had seen any political threat in Jesus, they would have, they would have crucified him without any hesitation. But... Clearly, as, as Pilate looked at Jesus this day, he saw no political threat, but he shouldn't. He should have. You see, Pilate had a perception of understanding of power based on his own misuse of it. So when, when power is normally utilised by politicians, it's used for two things, for coercion and for self-promotion, to force people to do things and to promote yourself. Jesus did the exact opposite. Instead of coercion, Jesus changed people's hearts. And that's what changed their behaviour. And instead of self-promotion, Jesus was constantly self-emptying of himself. And so Pilate looked at this power, this power of, of transformation and this power of self-emptying, and just didn't understand it, couldn't grasp the concept at all. He saw no power threat in Jesus from Galilee, and so he was looking to release him. 
When the, the pressure came on from the Jewish leaders, to religious leaders to, to crucify him, he, he first of all tries to defer the decision by sending him to Herod. But then Herod sends him back again. And then Pilate, desperately trying to avoid having to make the decision, offers to release Barabbas instead. Or offers, yeah, offers to, 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 trade, to, to kill Barabbas and set Jesus free. But that is, he fails in that as well. And so Pilate again reminds us of the danger of misunderstanding truth. Putting our own preconceptions in the frame. So having our own conceptions of what God would do and what, the way he would behave. But he also warns us about being swayed by popular opinion again. Rather than making his own decision, he was concerned about how the crowds were going to react. And so he made the wrong decision. His perception of truth was distorted, just the way the religious leaders and the crowds were. The fourth figure is Herod. Now, this is not the same Herod who killed the babies at the beginning of the Gospels. This is his son, Herod Antipas. This is the Herod who had had John the Baptist killed. So John the Baptist had called out Herod and his uh, sister-in-law, who he was having an affair with. And so in the end, Herod had had John the Baptist, uh, his head brought on a platter into one of his banquets. But ever since that time, he'd been racked by guilt. And so when Jesus was sent to him, so when Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, the, uh, the king, uh, he was interested to, to get to know this Jesus. And so he asked him lots of questions. But Jesus refused to answer. Uh, and so instead of, of pursuing truth, and sorting out the, the mess he'd made of his life, Herod resorted to mockery, and, and Jesus was mocked by Herod and the soldiers. And this is a reminder that, we, again, that we must be diligent in seeking truth. Sometimes the truth is uncomfortable, as it was for Herod. And we should be especially concerned if our rejection of the truth leads us then to mock those who do hold the truth, or do he seek to teach it to us? The final character in the drama is one who he never see, and one who never speaks. That is perhaps the crucial one for us in Jesus' trial, and that is the man Barabbas. The word Barabbas means literally son of the father. Bar means son. Abba, Abbas, means father, and his name was the son of the father. And he was a man of violence, though. He was uh, in prison for, for murder. He was a, a brutal, violent character, which is in sharp contrast to Jesus. And Luke's trying to emphasise that Jesus was a man of peace and, and a man of quiet and, and a man of nonviolence. And the two are, are set alongside each other and amazingly both are charged with the same charge. Both are charged with sedition even though they were obviously very different characteristics. And when the choice is put before the people, who do you want? Barabbas, this murderer, this violent man, this hate-filled man, or Jesus, this man of peace, this man of innocence? The crowd choose Barabbas, and he walks free. And Jesus is sentenced to the cross. There's only a few places in the Gospels 
where the doctrine of substitution is, is recognised. But there are a number of places where it is illustrated extremely powerful. So the doctrine of substitution is the idea that Jesus goes to the cross in our place, that he substitutes himself for us. And this is a powerful example of what happens, where the sinful Barabbas, the man of hate, the man who rebels, the man who rejects God, is set free. And Jesus substitutes himself for Barabbas and goes to the cross and experiences what should have been Barabbas's crucifixion. And it's, it's, good to, it's, it's stimulating to speculate. Did Barabbas realise what had happened? Did he, did he realise the truth that Christ had substituted himself for him? There was a, a movie produced in the 1960s called Barabbas, and, and they sort of like to speculate that at the end of the movie, Barabbas realises what Jesus did for him and uh, becomes a, a follower of Jesus. But he might well have missed it. Our key question for us this morning is, do we get it? Do we realise that Christ substitutes himself for us? That although we, like Barabbas, are deserving of, 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 of uh, punishment for our sinfulness, we have the opportunity to be set free from that because Jesus substitutes himself for us. And perhaps we realise today that it's something that others might miss, but that through Jesus' substitution of himself for us, we become Barabbas, sons and daughters of the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this insight into substitution, that Jesus was so innocent Everybody could see he was innocent. Yet, as a final indication, an illustration of the distortion of sin in our world, this beautiful, innocent man goes to the cross silently while the violent and hateful ones go free. And Lord, we recognise that this applies to us today as well. And Lord, we take this opportunity to turn from our own sinfulness, our own preconceptions about what you should do and what you shouldn't do, and come to you and come to the cross, accepting of the great substitution that you offer to us, that you offer to go to the cross in our place. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for your grace. And we pray, Lord, now as we, we share around your table that you will touch us afresh with the truth of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. The, the meal that we know as the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples, was in fact a Passover meal. Uh, the Passover meal was the, the meal that the people of Israel, that the Jewish people down to, to this day, continue to observe to remind them of the way that God set them free from Egypt. So you might know the story that in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, God's people were enslaved, uh, and God came through Moses and said to the Pharaoh, release my people. Pharaoh re refused, 
And so God sent 10 plagues and they got increasingly more severe. And then finally the 10th plague was going to be the one that would force Pharaoh and the people of Israel of Egypt to set the people of Israel free. God was going to kill the firstborn son of every Egyptian family in order to force them to release the people of Israel from slavery. But in order to uh, pass over the people of Israel and to, to recognise them and to not um, have them suffer the punishment that was due to the, to the Egyptians, God instituted the Passover. And what he did was to tell them to get a lamb and to kill it as a substitute. As a substitute for the son that they would lose otherwise. And they were to take the blood and to, to put the blood over the door frame so that when the angel of death passed over, over Egypt and looking to kill the firstborn son of the Egyptians, he would pass over the people of Israel because they had made a substitution for their sons, their firstborn sons. And what Jesus does is he, he, he takes that ritual, that, that's, that remembrance activity of the Passover feast, and as he, he offers the cup to the, um, his, to his brothers, he says, this is my blood which is shed for you. I am now going to be the Passover lamb to make a way of substitution for you so that you do not suffer the consequences of your sin. So in a morning, in a minute, I'll get you to come forward and to, to grab the bread and the, the cup or a likeness thereof and to, uh, to head back to your seats, eat the bread as you feel fit, uh, but then we'll drink the cup together. But before you come forward, let us pray. Lord, today we share this ritual together and acknowledge your innocence, just as the Passover lamb had to be without blemish. So you were without blemish when you went to the cross in our place. And as we partake in this bread and cup, we humbly remember your innocence. We reflect on the profound truth that you offered yourself as our substitute, willingly enduring the cross on our behalf. In this moment, we acknowledge the depths of your love and the magnitude of your grace. May this time of communion be a sacred encounter where we connect intimately with your presence. As we eat the bread, may it nourish our souls, reminding us of your body broken for our sake. As we drink the cup, may it be a tangible reminder of your blood shared for forgiveness of our sins. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. May this communion experience deepen our faith strengthen our commitment and inspire us to live lives worthy of the sacrifice you made for us. May your love continue to transform us from within and draw us closer to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Please come forward and take the bread and the cup. Eat the bread as you would like and then hold the cup and we'll drink it together. The body of Jesus was broken for you. Eat and be thankful. In the same way, after the, after the bread, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood shed for you to establish the new covenant. Drink and be thankful. 
Lord, we thank you for your body and your blood that was broken and shed for us. Lord, help us to not walk away from here not transformed by your grace and mercy. Lord, help us to never take this for granted. Never help us to never take your substitution for granted. That as we think about the impact that the, your substitution might have made on a man like Barabbas on that day, Lord, that we too will not walk away without understanding, that we won't walk away having missed what your sacrifice means and what your substitution means for our life. Lord, leave it, Lord help us to live a life worthy of the sacrifice that you made. In Jesus' name we ask through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.